rates unchanged. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, I'm Hugh Stewart along with Chris Oliver. Welcome to Money for Nothing. We're standing in for Brian Curtis who will return to the programme on Monday. Among the headlines this morning, the European Central Bank has confirmed that it's now prepared to begin quantitative easing. Alibaba founder Jack Ma to take a controlling stake in Shanghai-listed financial software company Hunsun Technologies. And Greece shakes off its pariah nation status in a planned return to the international bond market this month. In our featured segments, we'll be joined by Andy Mantel of Pacific Sun Advisors for a look at the current state of China markets. Kevin Lai from Daiwa Securities will discuss the China economy and how mainland authorities are caught between a rock and a hard place on stimulus. We'll also speak with Professor Pascal Fung of the University of Science and Technology about how to attract more women into advanced computer studies, opening a career pathway into the high-paying sector that's dominated by men. On Wall Street, shares closed modestly lower as investors digested a series of economic data ahead of a March jobs report due out later today. The Dow closed virtually unchanged at 16,572, while the broad-based S&P 500 slipped a tenth of a percent to 1,888. The tech-rich Nasdaq lost 38 points, nearly 1 percent, to end the day at 4,237. Russia has raised gas prices for Ukraine to $485 per 1,000 cubic metres and urged Kiev to repay its $2.2 billion US dollar debt, stepping up pressure on an economy already on the brink of bankruptcy. Russia's annexation of Ukraine's Crimea region last month deepened the worst east-west crisis since the end of the Cold War in 1991. The European Central Bank has confirmed it's prepared to begin quantitative easing pumping money into the EU economy in in order to encourage spending. The news that the ECB is considering unconventional measures to head off the risk of deflation sent European shares sharply higher. Some benchmark indexes hit multi-year highs. Shares in Italy and Spain rose 1.4%, with Madrid's IBEX closing at 10,584, a level not seen in nearly three years. France's CAC 40 was up nearly half a percent to a a five-and-a-half-year high. But Germany's DAX finished only fractionally higher, and London's 100-share index dropped a fifth of a percent. The Housing Secretary, Anthony Chung, says the government won't act hastily over increasing calls for the introduction of rent controls. He said the administration remains worried that doing so may push up rents and reduce supply. Officials are looking at how rent controls have worked elsewhere in the world and will report to legislators at a later date. We call it uh, policy fine-tuning because uh, we're not looking for big stimulus. Uh, we think that uh, for there are many projects in the pipeline uh, under the new uh, five-year plan or under the new government work report, uh, mainly in, in terms of railways, highways, uh, uh, affordable housing, water conservation, for example. So these are the projects already in the pipeline and the government can actually uh, bring them forward. You mentioned earlier, I think in a note uh, in December, that you you had growing concerns over a possible credit crunch coming in China. This policy fine-tuning would be, you know, the government's way of uh, helping to cushion the blow, I guess. Hi, that's a story that we'll be returning back to later in the program. 
Greece is reportedly planning to return to the international bond market this month, four years after it became the first Eurozone country to be bailed out, and only two years since defaulting on its debts. With the country showing signs of pulling out of a crippling recession, Athens aims to raise 2 billion euros in a sale of five-year bonds. A power company is also poised to become the first Greek state-controlled enterprise to sell bonds since the country had to turn to the EU and IMF for financial help in 2010. The chief executive of the technology firm Mozilla, which makes the Firefox browser, has been forced out of his job over his opposition to same-sex marriage. Brendan Eich was one of Mozilla's founders. The OECD says growth in rich countries slowed to 0.5% in the last quarter of 2013 because companies in, e- in Europe cut back their stocks of materials after a build-up in the third quarter. The organization says growth in that quarter was running at 0.7%. The OECD says the U.S. economy grew by 0.7% in the final quarter of 2013, mainly because of private consumption. It says Japan's 0.3% growth was chiefly investment-driven, while Germany's 0.4% expansion, a rebound in the contribution was due to a rebound in exports. The founder of the online retail giant Alibaba, Jack Ma, will pay 3.3 billion yuan to take a controlling stake in a Shanghai-listed financial software firm, Hansun Technologies. The move has spurred speculation on whether Mr Ma will use the investment as a stepping stone to go public with his own electronic payment system. Just uh, briefly in markets this morning around the region... Uh, we're trading a little bit lower in spite of the ECB's move. The uh, Japan's Nikkei index is up, uh, is trading lower 62 points at 15,008. Australia is slightly down, and Seoul is down uh, 0.3%. Uh, in, in currencies, the U.S. dollar is at 103.9 yen. So I think we're going to move on to our guest now. For our first guest this morning, we welcome Andy Mantel of Pacific Sun Advisors. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. So just going over some data last night, I, I looked at the numbers and I saw that Hong Kong and China stocks have had a terrible run in the first quarter. The, the indexes are down 5% and 3.9% respectively. Uh, what's your take on the market? Yeah, the first quarter, the markets were quite weak. The eight shares were, were down more than the, the Hang Seng Index stocks. Um, we have a lot of things happening right now. Uh, the, the biggest concern is, is growth is slowing down in China. Essentially, all of the, uh, the economic numbers came out year-to-date have been lower than consensus. Uh, major investment banks have lowered their forecasts uh, of this year's economic growth to 7.2% or so. Uh, from 7.6%. Uh, also, the renminbi has, has uh, been very weak in the first quarter, down 2.7%. Um, so I think people are looking at that and also um, some developments as far as uh, corporate bond defaults, which are starting now. Um, early March mm-hmm. was the first one, and there will likely be more as well, um, well you co- know, for, for this year. Coming back to that point in a moment, uh, we saw the news earlier this week about the government beginning to crank up stimulus. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect shares? Well, it's the the measures will be piecemeal. They won't be one-off like they have in the past during uh, previous stress points. Uh, just two days ago, we saw China announce a few measures uh, focused on the railway sector, uh, subsidized housing. Um, a few stocks in those sectors did well, but overall, the markets, uh, you know, didn't didn't do, do didn't do that great. So, um, I think the important thing is there there will be a lot of 
measures coming out this year uh, slowly, and that, that's a very positive thing. And a lot of it will be focused on uh, capital markets. Um, IPOs have gotten the green light in, in, in the mainland China. IPOs are going on in, in Hong Kong. Um, and just recently, you've had uh, China uh, allow preference shares to be issued by uh, large Shanghai-listed companies. So I think they're I think they're doing the right things. It's just that uh, the first quarter numbers for the economic growth will be very very low, maybe even lower than the the current consensus. Uh, but I, I see that picking up uh, as the year progresses. So given that things are picking up, what sectors do you like? Well, we we don't like to put so much money in a particular sector. So I think you have to look at many sectors and, and stock pick within the sectors. Uh, we, we we do like uh, you know property is a very large sector so we we like some property companies uh, logistics uh, expressways we feel are quite safe uh, also companies in the consumer goods area is is an area that we we do like um, you know markets overall are, are quite quite cheap so uh, I don't see tremendous downside from here with with uh, you know if there's more bad news that comes out. As you alluded to earlier, I had some I had a look at some data last night about uh, China's IPOs, and it's very interesting. The 48 companies that have completed their IPOs so far this year have risen an average of 54 percent, and that vastly outweighs the uh, performance of share sales outside of China. Have, have you been looking at any of these IPOs? Are you getting in on them? Or? Well, you can't really get into these ones in the in the A share markets um, um, directly. Um, but, you know, there's pent-up demand. Uh, there haven't been IPOs in, in China for 15 months or so. So um, it's a positive thing. When they did start to, to list companies, actually, in January, you did see the markets come off a lot um, from that. But they pushed it through, and they're, and they're you know, we're, we're looking more at IPOs in, 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 in Hong Kong, which we feel are, are uh, you know, a lot cheaper, and uh, you, can, you can actually get some of the shares. Can you name anything coming up that you're interested in? Uh, no, not at the moment. We're not very active, actually, in the IPO market. Uh, we haven't done any any this year. Um, we last year we we participated in one, um, um, which was essentially right right after the listing, not at not at the listing. I'm sure you've been watching, as I have, the fireworks going off in China's credit market. How, how concerned are you that there's something there that this could be a start of a new wave of of defaults? Well, the central bank and the regulator have indicated that they will allow defaults of, of uh, smaller companies. Um, but uh, as we've seen in the first quarter, they have rescued some, some other ones that have come close to defaults. I think overall, I think the, the, uh, you know, the credit problems in China is actually relatively uh, low if you compare it to other countries. And I think with the closed capital market, I think uh, they'll be able to, to, you know, have everything in control. And uh, so, you know, the overall banking system itself, the, the big banks in the first quarter, uh, last year, profits went up about 12 percent uh, relative uh, the year before is fifteen percent. Um, non-performing loans are, are about one percent or so right now. I think overall, I think the banking uh, financial system in China is 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 healthy, but we will see some more defaults uh, as as the year rolls out. And what other reforms are you watching? Well, again, it's a lot of it is geared towards uh, the capital markets to allow uh, IPOs. Uh, uh, Better corporate governance. Um, I, you know, as far as uh, I think the CSRC itself is creating a new department to to track the the corporate bonds, and uh, uh, they have a specific unit to to 
to to see which ones you know will be they should rescue or should not so i think a lot of that depends on uh you know what happens and 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 also interest rate uh, deregulation um, is is something to look out for, uh, and the RMB itself, uh, the the trading band was increased to two percent recently, uh, and that that caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, you did have a lot of speculators that uh, lost money in the first quarter uh, trading, uh, uh, you know, the Ford contracts of the RMB. Just a note: you mentioned earlier about the share reform, and I think that's a reference to the. F- 50 largest companies listed on Shanghai will be allowed to sell preferred stock for the first time. Does that, in fact, uh, does that impact investors at all? Uh, it will because the companies that will be able to do this, uh, obviously the banks will benefit from the increased capital. The other companies that qualify, uh, they're probably going to use the money to, to buy back their shares. So um, investors at, at, you know, will be able to benefit from that. And, and you know, one other reform I must mention is this uh, the latest – last week, Citic Pacific was allowed to um, – um, the, the idea is Citic Pacific will buy the assets of its parents, the Citic Group, um, and 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 have them all listed in in Hong Kong. And and part of the reason for doing this is essentially for transparency and corporate governance. China is is, is does want to open up their books to the world, and uh, so we may see more of this if if this deal does go through. If it's if it's uh, approved by the um, the shareholders and uh, Ministry of Finance. We may see other groups uh, getting more exposure um, and listing here in, in Hong Kong more of their assets. Okay, okay. Thank you very much, uh, Andy, for coming on the show. Thank you. That's uh, Andy Mantel of Pacific Sun Advisors. Now on to our next guest. Uh, investors have embraced the mini-stimulus package just announced in China. The package includes additional railway spending and tax relief, but Kevin Lai, an economist of Daiwa Securities, says authorities are caught between a rock and a hard place on stimulus. The more they print money, the more the renminbi will weaken. And with so many investors long the renminbi, any weakening could mean trouble. In an earlier interview, I asked Mr. Lai about the mini-stimulus. We call it uh, policy fine-tuning because uh, we're not looking for big stimulus. Uh, we think that... Uh, for there are many projects in the pipeline uh, under the new uh, five-year plan or under the new government work report, uh, mainly in in terms of railways, highways, uh, uh, affordable housing, water conservation, for example. So these are the projects already in the pipeline, and the government can actually uh, bring them forward. You mentioned earlier, I think in a note uh, in December, that you were growing, you had growing concerns over a possible credit crunch coming in China. This policy fine-tuning would be, you know, the government's way of uh, helping to cushion the blow, I guess. Not in a big way, because uh, with these kind of uh, policy relaxation, fine-tuning, or even, you may even call this a mini-stimulus, I think what is more important is that... Uh, it needs to be funded by new money. So it needs a lot of help from the central bank. The central bank have to come out to print more money. And when when it does, it will put uh, pressure on the currency, which is happening. So there will be limits uh, on what the government can do, uh, mainly because uh, the Fed is tapering. Uh, uh, when the Fed was printing money in the last five years, uh, 
you know, the PBC could actually follow to do so. But now, uh, with the Fed going to to taper, it would be more difficult for uh, China to do the same. So uh, we are talking about a uh, paradigm shift. So uh, the new paradigm is that uh, the currency will be a constraint on what the government can do in order to uh, protect growth, in order to save credit. In in, in Japan, for example, the, the uh, a weaker yen is normally considered a good thing. Isn't that going to spur the export sector for China? Yes, a little bit. But the most critical issue is that CNY is the most crowded trade uh, in, the, in, in our entire universe. So everybody, every uncle, every auntie is uh, all uh, going long the CNY. And um, there have been a lot of uh, hot money inflows chasing high yields in China because of the appreciation. And if that expectation changes, then uh, there will be a lot of, could be a lot of money outflows. And if that happens, it will be extremely difficult for the central bank to create money. And that means they will have to print even more money. And then that could actually spin into a uh, currency crisis. And what's the latest on the issue with corporate bond default? Uh, Everybody is hungry for money. Every uh, company, local government vehicle or... um, trust vehicle, they need to come to the, <laughs> to the market to raise new money, but the, but the market doesn't have enough for them. So that's why we think that uh, the PBC will have to print more money to keep uh, this guy uh, satisfied. But doing so will put pressure on the currency. So you can see that right now the PBC is fighting one fire, which is credit. By letting the currency to go, but in doing so, that could spread into two fires. So eventually, there will be another fire, which is the currency. And uh, the central bank may may find themselves fighting two fires. A lot of analysts, the the views are very mixed when it comes to China. There's a view out there that China stocks are discounting the unfolding credit problems that we're seeing and that it may actually be a good time to build up some exposure to China stocks. How do you see that situation? Is this a good time to buy assets? I probably don't think so, because uh, I don't think the market is ready to see uh, further deterioration in terms of credit. The market is certainly not prepared to see further currency depreciation, because the consensus still believes that the yuan will be stronger by the year end. Uh, the market seems to think that it is only a soft-term blip uh, for the currency. But it looks like uh, we may be uh, looking at a much uh, steeper CNY correction uh, further down the path. Eventually, the market will demand a real answer, and then there could be some panic. 
That's Kevin Lai, an economist at Daiwa Securities. Well, we switch now on Money for Nothing from the markets to look at career opportunities, or lack of them rather, for women in advanced computer engineering. The percentage of women undertaking advanced studies in the field at the University of Science and Technology hasn't changed much in over a decade. Currently, women make up 13% of enrolment in computer science and computer engineering, compared to around 24% for women in the School of Engineering, which includes other subjects like civil engineering and mechanical engineering. Uh, well, for comment, uh, we're joined uh, in our central studio now by uh, Professor Pascal Fung from the University of Science and Technology. Good morning to you, Professor Fung. Good morning. Thank, thanks for, for joining us. Why do you think it is? It, why would women rather build bridges than computers? Well, I'm not sure there are a lot of women wanting to build bridges either. I think um, it's probably from a lack of exposure. A lot of girls, when they're young, before they got to, uh, go to college, they had no idea what computing is. Um, they thought it would be a bunch of geeks programming in the windowless lab, which is far from the truth. A lot of boys came into Do you have computing. windows? Uh, we do. You do. We okay. have a great, fantastic CV. <laughs> and uh, it's very fun. Uh, computing jobs are very fun. A lot of boys came to computing through uh, gaming. And these days I see more girls um, playing games online than playing games on iPads. So um, the, the playing field, so to speak, is sort of, um, you know, um, leveling out. And I think that as long as, uh, as soon as the girls understand that there's a diversity of jobs to be had in computing, yeah, in computer science and electronic engineering, um, that, um, they, um, that there's a huge opportunity uh, financially. In fact, computing is one of the few professions in which the pay difference between – there's no significant pay difference between men and women. So when they realize this is such an opportunity, then I think um, the, the more uh, there will be more of them come in. And what we do at UST also is that we try to create a more fun environment for them to for, – for girls to network with each other. We have a Women's Science Engineering Club for Women's Science Engineering – we also work with organizations like the Women's Foundation to create scholarships for them. And uh, we have a uh, annual summer camps for women's science engineering for high school girls to come and learn to code and build things, mm. so on and so forth. Tell us all about the, the scholarships then. Why, are they, they're, they're just for women and they're for women who want to study <laughs> computer engineering? Or so, um, in fact, uh, we, have a, uh, we have a number of scholarships for women in science engineering and uh, uh, to encourage women into fields including civil engineering and electronic engineering where there are not a, not a high pres- uh, representation of women. So the scholarship, the particular scholarship we've been working with um, Women's Foundation to create is the scholarship for computing, for women to come into computing. Yes. What about you? When you were studying at, where was it, uh, Columbia in 97, doing uh, computer science, I finished were you the only woman in the class? Or what was it like then? Well, I finished my PhD in computer science. There okay. were, um, at the time, 80, oh, PhD, yeah. Yeah, 80 PhD students and five of us women. Wow. But we had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> we networked with each other. Actually, we were together all the time. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that networking. So, you, you, do, you, do you find that that you find that there's a uh, that the women get together and you know uh, and there is some kind of synergy between you? Absolutely. Um, one important thing is to find support and to find common grounds with uh, your peer group. So, um, it is important. That's why we create the Wise Club. And um, even for faculty, you know, we have a 
uh, Women Faculty Association at um, HKUST for women faculty members to network with each other. Mm. What's the faculty? Is, is that discrepancy reflected in the faculty as well as the students? Yes, absolutely. All right. <laughs> so I, I would say that is the uh, another challenge, right? Because when girls come into undergraduate programs, they don't see a lot of women professors in computing. So we need to recruit more women as professors in computing to, to set role models also. Mm. I mean, just going back to the first question, which is a bit facetious, but, but also you, I would have thought that women would be, that um, young women would be very familiar with, with, with computers and they would be more part of their experience than you know, civil engineering than bridges and, and roads and, and, and things like this. So there would be sort of a natural affinity. But you, you think not? I think you are right. But that is a new phenomenon, hmm. meaning the generation of my daughters, they start using iPad when they're two, iPhones and so on. But that's in the 2000, you know, the first iPhone appeared in 2007. Hmm. So I think this new generation of younger, very, very young women, when they um, um, come of age, um, things will change. Hmm. I think more of them will come into computing and more of them will become um, computing professionals. Okay. While you're there, you're an expert on speech recognition, aren't you? Yes. I'm That's not. one of your areas. Yes. Okay, I'm going to hold you responsible now. Speech recognition seems to be lagging behind, rather, you know, other, other areas of, uh, of, of computing. I've got to say, um, you know, Siri and things like this, a little disappointing. Why is that? I think, uh, actually, it's not the technology lagging behind. I think it's the expectation jumping ahead. Uh. I think uh, people, for speech recognition, people have very high expectations. When we talk to each other as humans, human beings, we make mistakes all the time. And we misunderstand each other all the time. But we correct that by, um, um, by our human process of you know, uh, cognitive understanding. In speech recognition, people expect the machine to be 100% right, which we don't expect the machines to do. For example, uh, Google Translate is not 100%, but we use it all the time because uh, it's convenient. Uh, Google Search we use all the time. I, I'm not making advertisement for Google, but you know all these uh, computing services we use all the time is by, uh, far from uh, the performance of speech recognition systems. Uh, in terms of Siri, it is actually uh, uh, not just a recognition system. It is an understanding system. Um, we also have a system uh, similar to that for um, for Chinese languages. What happens there is that people um, expect uh, a Siri to be a fully intelligent uh, machine, which is uh, which is some, still somewhere down the line. You know, the famous Turing test uh, to for people to guess whether. The person behind the curtain is the computer or, or, or human being is not there yet. However, in terms of um, other areas, you know, if you call up a call center to book flights and uh, check your bills and all, all these things, over 90% of these operations are handled by computers, by speech recognition. So I would say um, the technology has advanced uh, a great deal in the last 30 years. So the, the, the speech, hang on, the speech recognition is okay. That's, your end is all right. It's the other bit as well. It's the thinking bit that's the problem. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, thinking yeah. bit is always the problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Pascal Fung there from the University of Science and Technology. That's for the end of the program. Uh, for today, Brian back uh, on Monday. Uh, uh, Chris Oliver and uh, me, Hugh Chibberton, your hosts, uh, sitting in for today. Here's the latest weather information before we go and before back chat um, this morning. The uh, northeast monsoon is affecting the coast. Today we're going to have sunny periods and a maximum temperature of 23 degrees. The outlook, more sunny periods tomorrow and there will be rain and thunderstorms on Sunday and on Monday. The reading's now 19 Celsius with a relative humidity of 87%. The time now is uh, 8.30. Time for the news with Samantha Butler.
Russia's internal security service, the SF- FSB, says it's detained 25 Ukrainians, accusing them of planning terrorist attacks last month. Ukraine's security service has denied it was involved. From Moscow, here's the BBC's Steve Rosenberg. Among those detained are reportedly three members of the nationalist group Right Sector. The Ukrainians have been accused of taking photographs of Russian troop movements and of trying to make contact with extremist elements in Russia. Earlier, government officials in Kiev levelled their own accusations against Moscow. They claimed that more than 30 FSB agents had been stationed in Kiev in December and January and had taken part in planning and implementing measures against anti-government protesters. Senior military officials in the United States have said the serving soldier who shot dead three colleagues at the Fort Hood Army base on Wednesday has shown no recent risks of violence. The assailant, who injured 16 others before killing himself, had served in Iraq and was being treated for anxiety and depression. Lieutenant General Mark Milley gave more details. The alleged shooter is Specialist uh, Ivan A. Lopez. Uh, He is 34 years old, originally from Puerto Rico. Specialist Lopez uh, was assigned to the uh, 49th uh, Transportation Movement Control Battalion of the 13th Sustainment Brigade. The chief executive of the technology firm Mozilla, which makes the Firefox browser, has been forced out of his job over his opposition to same-sex marriage. Brendan Eich was one of Mozilla's founders. 